Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from several places in scripture, beginning in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings 8, verses 22 through 53. All of the readings this afternoon are in connection with Lord's Day 45, the first Lord's Day uh, on the theme of prayer. So we'll be looking at the, the place of prayer in, in the Christian life. First Kings 8, beginning in verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, Then hear in heaven and act, and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head, and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel, and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers." When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, If their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm, 
when he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against the, their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgression that they have committed against you. And grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving giving ear to them whenever they call you. For you separated them from among the peoples of the earth to be your heritage as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So far from 1 Kings, we'll turn also to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 5 through 15. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So far from Matthew. And then finally we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20. We want to pay special attention to what the Apostle Paul here says about prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So far, the reading from the Word of God. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, a summary of the Christian faith and a, uh, the confession adopted by this church. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 45, as I mentioned, the beginning of a uh, series of Lord's Days on prayer. That's on page 559 of your books of praise, if you wish to follow along. There the question is, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give His grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed Himself in His Word for all that He has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as He has promised us in His Word. What has God commanded us to ask of Him? All the things we need for body and soul as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord Himself taught us. What is the Lord's Prayer? And there we find uh, the prayer as we've read it in Matthew 6. So far, the uh, Lord's Day. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we finished our long journey through the Ten Commandments. Uh, And I hope it was uh, enriching and helpful for you, as it certainly was uh, for me, to spend that time uh, meditating on not only the commandments, but the offer of life uh, that is set forth in those commandments. Uh, And now, before we, as we transition to the prayer, uh, I want to draw your attention to how how Lord's Day 44 concludes that study of the Ten Commandments. Back in Lord's Day 44, you'll notice that twice in the Catechism's conclusion on the law, uh, it mentions the importance of prayer. So it asks the question, since we cannot keep the law perfectly, why do we have it preached so strictly? And it answers, first of all, so that throughout our life, we may become more and more aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness of Christ. Uh, It doesn't mention the word prayer, but of course it's implied in that word seek. Uh, We we hear the law so that it would drive us to seek 
both God's forgiveness and God's righteousness in Christ, which we do in prayer. It's a basic feature of of the Christian life, confessing our sins to God and praying for His forgiveness. Uh, Secondly, the Catechism also says uh, we preach the law so strictly so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving more and more to be renewed after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. And here too you see the, the first importance of prayer. If we've been uh, doing our work well over the last weeks as we've studied the Ten Commandments, uh, it should show us that there is a, a path of freedom, a path of life before us. Uh, hopefully uh, we've, we've been stirred up in our desire to walk in that freedom and life. Uh, and if so, the only way we're going to do that is by God's strength supplied by the Spirit. You need the Spirit to live a free life. You need the Spirit uh, to to follow God's law. And and how how do you get that? How do you get the Spirit? You know, you think of biblical commands. uh, Ephesians uh, 5 says, be filled with the Spirit. How do you do that? It seems like that's something we we couldn't actually do. Uh, It's something the Spirit has to do. Uh, But God gives you the means to be filled with the Spirit, and they are the Word of God and prayer. That's how you get filled with the Spirit. You spend time in the Word of God, and you spend time with God in prayer. And God works through those means. So that's why it's only natural then that now that we've finished the Ten Commandments, we find ourselves beginning another journey now through the Lord's Prayer. If we know that prayer is essential to the Christian life, then we want to begin crying out to God uh, like the disciples did in, in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. The disciples say to the Lord Jesus, Lord Teach us to pray. And that really is our prayer now as we start journeying through uh, the Lord's Prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. This is why then the Catechism describes prayer as the most important part of the Christian life. Uh, The purpose of that is not to set set prayer off against other aspects of of the Christian life, uh, like obedience uh, to the law, for example. Uh, That's not the point. But the point is to say, this is where it all begins. This is where obedience to the law and anything else in the Christian life begins and where it derives its power and its direction. Uh, Like a car without an engine or like an engine without fuel is a Christian life without prayer. It's not going anywhere. So it really can't be overstated then how important prayer is to the Christian life. Uh, It's been said, and I think it's true, that the single most reliable indicator of your spiritual vitality is your prayer life. If you're not praying, you're not breathing. And if you're not breathing, you're not alive. Uh, now, in saying that, the point is not to guilt any of us into prayer. That would be, that would be silly, right? That wouldn't accomplish uh, the purpose we want. It's the wrong motivation. The purpose in saying that is to help us to see that if we're not praying Our our spiritual life, our Christian life, lacks its basic source of power and direction. You should not expect to see any growth in life, any growth in freedom, if you're not praying. Uh, Do you want to grow? Do you want to mature in the Christian life? Do you want to live in joy, uh, in the freedom that God has given you? You must start with prayer. Uh, God is not only pleased to answer Uh, to answer you through your prayers, but is also pleased to work through those prayers to grow you and to mature you uh, and to do so in ways that uh, perhaps we do not even consider possible. 
So for the next several weeks, then, we're going to be working through the Lord's prayer uh, line by line with the goal that, that God would not only teach us how to pray, but would also renew our desire and our sense of need for prayer. Now, before we go too far, we should deal with one very common objection to the very idea of prayer. And it's important to deal with because it is a living objection. Uh, Whether it's said out loud or not, people think this, and it affects our prayer life. And it's this, we think to ourselves, if God already knows what we need, and furthermore, if God has already determined what he will do, then why should we pray? What difference does it make? Now, to be sure, both of those premises are true. The Lord knows what you need before you ask it of him. It's what the Lord Jesus said. And the Lord does have a plan and purpose and will do what he has planned. Scriptures teach that as well very clearly. So what gives? Why should we pray? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that the Lord Jesus mentions those very same two premises, uh, or at least the first of them in, in Matthew 6. Uh, he says, the Lord knows, God, your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask it of him. And then in the very next verse, he says, therefore pray like this. The Lord Jesus didn't see a contradiction between the premise and the conclusion. Uh, the Lord Jesus knew that God knows our needs, And not only did that not prevent him from praying, but it was a reason for praying. And that's what we see in Jesus' life as well, isn't it? You look at the Lord Jesus' life and how many hours he spent alone by himself in prayer. You'd think if anyone didn't need to spend time with God in prayer, surely it would be the Lord Jesus himself. And yet he did. And so if it was necessary for him, how much more is it not for us? Well, here then, the best thing that we can do in the face of this this logical dilemma or this apparent logical dilemma is to simply trust God's instructions and pray. The Scriptures remind us, Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. So we can't climb up into the mystery of of God's will uh, and understand how He does what He does or how it all comes together. If He tells us to pray, we ought to pray. Uh, and what, can we, what we can say, if we can say anything at all about this, is that if God ordains the ends, what he plans to do, then he also ordains the means uh, by which he plans to do it. If God ordains that he's going to do a certain thing, then he also ordains that he will do so in response to our prayers, as he has promised us, this is how I act. I will act in response to your prayer. It would be a foolish thing, wouldn't it, if at the end of all things uh, we had to stand before God and, and God should ask us, why didn't you pray for these people that they would repent? Uh, or uh, why didn't you pray that I would give you uh, this that you desired? And we would say back to God, well, God, what was the point of praying? Because you, you did not. You didn't do it in the end, so obviously you were planning not, not to do it. What, what might God say back to us? Perhaps he might say, well, maybe so, but you ought to have prayed. And if you had prayed, I would have done it. That's what God teaches us about himself, about how he acts. He works in response to our prayer. It's what uh, uh, the Apostle James says as well, James 5, verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, 
he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the Lord teaches us He acts in response to our prayers. Now, may it be that instead of the, the, the dialogue I just described, we would hear instead from God, well done, because you prayed, I delivered you. Uh, because you prayed, I saved that straying brother. Because you prayed, I brought your children to faith. Don't let God's sovereignty keep you from praying. Uh, God instead then teaches us to pray, and so we ought to pray. You think, for example, of Moses uh, in, in the wilderness as well, uh, interceding on behalf of the children of Israel. Uh, when God had said to him uh, that he was going to destroy the people of Israel and make a new nation out of Moses, what did Moses do? Did he resign himself and say, well, Lord, if you've purposed to do that, nothing I can do to stop you. No, Moses prayed. He interceded for the people, and God responded to that prayer. That's what the Lord Jesus did as well. He prayed to the Father uh, that the Father would act, and oftentimes uh, we see the Father acting in response to Jesus' prayer. Uh, So the Apostle James then uh, reminds us the prayer of a righteous person has power. It does things. God works through it. Therefore, we should not be slack in our prayer, for, for, for at least for reasons of God's sovereignty. Pray, and you will know and you will experience the power of God in response to your prayers. In addition to this, we want to also recognize that prayer not only influences the actions of God, but prayer also changes us. Prayer changes our awareness of ourselves, uh, our, uh, our alignment with God's will. See, what happens when we pray is not only do we bring our concerns before the throne of God, but also God's concerns come down to us. Uh, we, we begin to know God's will, and our concerns then are brought into line with His. And prayer, prayer is very powerful uh, this way, uh, and, and we shouldn't miss this important aspect of, of what prayer does. Uh, we don't just pray uh, because we want God to act. We also pray because we want our desires to be brought in line with Him. That, that's a reason for praying. As we spend time in prayer bringing our concerns before God, we begin to realize, well, maybe this is what God is actually doing. And maybe this is actually what God is calling me to be doing. And maybe sometimes we uh, even begin our prayers with one concern on our minds that we think ought to be brought before God. Uh, and we end our prayers... With, with a wholly different desire, with a different purpose, or with a deeper conviction of this is what God is actually calling me to do. For example, we might, we might pray for a teenage child who's out at a party, and we might pray for God's protection over that child. So it's a, it's a good prayer. And then we realize in the course of that prayer, perhaps God is calling us to be discipling our child, to actually be there teaching, uh, be there present, With him, Perhaps the reason he's there at a party he shouldn't be is because I haven't been there for him as I ought to have been. Or we might pray to God uh, to heal our marriage. And in the course of our our prayer, we begin to recognize how God has been calling us to change our behavior towards our spouse, to to begin laying down our life as Christ calls us to do, to begin showing grace as he has shown it to us. For this reason, too, Do not neglect, uh, for reasons of God's sovereignty, the importance of prayer. 
God has determined not only to act in response to your prayers, but also that you would be changed by your very prayers. Psalm 37, verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Or again, Proverbs 3, verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Let me speak especially to uh, young people, to teenagers here. That, uh, that season of life that you're going through as teenagers is, is a tumultuous season. Uh, it can be difficult, confusing as you seek to understand what is the Lord's will uh, for your life. Uh, and with all the different pressures that are on you, all the things that are pulling you in, in different directions, nothing will orient you. That is, to give you a sense of true north. That's the word orient. It gives you a sense of true north. Nothing orients you Uh, and gives you peace and direction like prayer. Spending that time with God, where where God instills on your heart uh, His calling for you, where He is calling you to go and and to do. Uh, Again, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. The sad thing is there's too many Christians who, who never learn this in the season of their youth, to spend that time with prayer, to receive direction from God. uh, And it is to their loss. So I would say to the young people, uh, have the joy of knowing what the Lord's will is for you, and you will have that by spending that time with Him in prayer. Now having said that, we also want to think about how to pray. Uh, Now immediately, some of us are going to feel resistance to this very idea of of, is there a, a right way and a wrong way to pray? Uh, In our culture, we're very much a think-for-yourself culture, an independent culture. Uh, And we tend to believe that nobody should be able to tell me how how I should pray. It's my personal, private uh, prayer life. We should at least agree uh, that, that God, as the one to whom we're praying, should have the right to tell us how to pray. This is why the disciples came to the Lord Jesus with that request. Lord, teach us how to pray. If we're humble enough to get down on our knees and call upon the Father in the first place, then uh, surely we, we ought to be humble enough to learn from Him how uh, he, he would have us pray. And the first thing then, so the Catechism asks the same question. What belongs to a prayer that's pleasing to God, that's heard by Him? And the first thing the Catechism mentions that's hopefully self-evident is we ought to know who the true God is. Uh, if we're calling we're, we're upon the one true God, uh, we want to call upon the one who's revealed himself uh, in his word, not the, the God of our own imagination. That matters. Uh, if we're not doing that, getting to know God in his word, it really doesn't matter then what else we are doing. And prayers to false gods will not be heard, no matter how sincere those prayers might be. Nor will prayers to saints or to spirits, or to ancestors. Uh, In fact, they are regarded by God in Scripture as even abominable to Him. Uh, Moreover, prayers, even if they're prayers to God, but to God as we fancy Him to be, uh, according to our own preferences, our own imaginations, and not as He's revealed Himself in His Word, those two are an offense to God. Uh, we, We saw this already way back when we considered the second commandment. 
It's one of the perennial problems of, uh, that you see in the Old Testament is while Judah was largely faithful in, in uh, worshiping at the temple, uh, the Israelites uh, in the northern kingdom uh, had this constant problem of, of worshiping God in their own way, and it ended up being a problem even in Judah. The high places, every king, even the righteous ones are, uh, are criticized for not removing the high places. Well, what were the high places? They're places you could go to pray to God in your own manner, on your own terms, instead of going to the temple, which was the place where God had revealed himself in his word. So true prayer must begin there, uh, knowing the true God and his son, Jesus Christ. Anything else is idolatry. Uh, Prayer then begins in knowing God and in surrendering ourselves to him. And what that means uh, practically is that alongside our prayers, we also want to be engaged in God's word. That's how you're going to get to know your God. Uh, We want to be engaged in his word uh, and speak to him and have him also speaking to us. Our communication with God is a two-way street. Uh, If we're speaking to him, he must also be speaking to us. Uh, And incidentally, uh, developing that habit of of both praying and reading at the same time uh, is a very healthy habit for enlivening your prayers. If you find yourself always praying the exact same words over and over every prayer, it may be because you're not first taking that time to hear from God and responding to what you hear from God. Pray in response to what you've read. Uh, Read the word, reflect on it, then respond to it. Secondly, the Catechism also mentions if we're going to pray to God, we have to also know ourselves. We have to know ourselves. Uh, We are called upon the one true God as he revealed himself, and we are to know ourselves, that is, our sin and misery. When we're engaged in God's word, it's one of the first things we'll see. God's, God's word says I'm a sinner, not the angel or the hero that I thought myself to be. Uh, God's word says I need help, not the independent strong person I thought myself to be. So we have to come to know ourselves, and we come to know ourselves in at least a couple of ways. First of all, as creatures, we, we, we come to realize I'm a creature. I am not the creator. Uh, I, I'm dependent on my Father's blessing and my Father's provision. I need to know then uh, my frailty, my weakness, not even as a sinner, but as a creature. I'm weak, I'm frail, I'm dependent. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Why do you suppose the psalm teaches us that? Certainly, at least in part, so that we would learn to pray for the Lord's help in in all that we do. Uh, But then also we want to know ourselves as sinners. This matters too because it will dramatically change the way you pray when you know yourself to be a sinner. It brings an appropriate humility before God in your prayers where we recognize I'm undeserving even to come before him, and I'm undeserving to be heard by him. brings a sense of awe and gratitude, too, when you know yourself as a sinner uh, and you come uh, before God as one who's been forgiven, uh, uh, that God has set his love upon, upon me of all people. It changes the way that I pray. Uh, although we as Christians, then, we do get to call on God as Father. We get to be confident of His love. At the same time, uh, we, we do that with reverence and awe, remembering, I don't deserve this. Uh, I don't in myself have a right uh, to be heard by my Father. Uh, and then finally, we need to know the gospel. That's the, fir- the third thing the Catechism uh, mentions. Uh, so we know God 
we know ourselves and we must know the gospel. Uh, we know that we need to know when we pray that I'm coming before God as one who's been forgiven, as one who's been adopted, who's been loved by God in Christ. Uh, we need to know then that because of Christ's death uh, and, and his, his perfect life and death uh, for our sins, we're welcome to come before God's throne in grace. Uh, don't pray hesitant to believe that. Don't pray holding that at arm's length. You are welcome before the throne of your, your God and your Father who's adopted you in Christ. He says, come. Uh, he, uh, uh, because of Christ, whoever comes to him, uh, Jesus says, he will never cast out. Uh, we, should, we need to know, and perhaps this is the hardest of all to, to, to take to heart, we need to know that our Heavenly Father really does love us because of Christ. He, he loves us. Not just He tolerates us. Not just that He accepts us. But He loves us because of Christ. He delights, like a father delights in his children, He delights to hear from us. He, he gladly responds to our prayers because He delights to do us good. And sometimes that's hard to believe because uh, we want to think, well, I'm not, I'm not worthy of, of that kind of love, which is true. You're not worthy of that kind of love. But Christ is worthy, and you are in Christ, and Christ in you. Uh, Christ has made you belong to Him, which means just as the Father loves Him, that same love He has also for you who belong to Him. Now, practically, uh, one thing that this means is that we ought not to forget, particularly when we're praying for God's forgiveness, we ought not to forget to also thank Him in our prayers for the forgiveness that we have received, that we have received. Uh, if we've honestly confessed our sins to Him, uh, and we've determined also to do whatever He may be calling us to do uh, as part of our repentance, uh, if we've done that, uh, we can rest in the confidence of his forgiveness. And sometimes we want to torture ourselves with guilt that well, maybe, maybe I haven't repented enough. Maybe there's still more. Uh, and so I'll pray for God's forgiveness, but I'm not going to thank him because I don't know. I don't want to presume that I've been forgiven. Well, Christ says you are forgiven in him. Uh, do not withhold yourself in your prayers from God's grace. Uh, plead, yes, plead with God for forgiveness, but then also at the end of your prayer, Thank Him that you stand in His grace, that you are forgiven. Rest on the grace of the gospel. Walk in the joy of the gospel. This is also then uh, why we finish our prayers uh, by, by typically saying, in Jesus' name. Now, there's no biblical prescription for that. The Bible doesn't say anywhere you have to finish your prayer uh, with the words, in Jesus' name. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, in fact, itself doesn't end with those words. Uh, it, it, but it's not just a man-made tradition. There's more to it than that. There's an important reason why we finish our prayers in Jesus' name. And we read earlier from 1 Kings 8, that was the dedication of the temple, and Solomon is praying to God that, that all the prayers that are directed towards the temple or, or prayed within the temple would be heard by, by God. Uh, the, the temple was the place that God had made his name to dwell on the earth. It's a way of saying, if you want to look for God, you want to find God, go to the temple. That was the place where God was uh, in that age to be found. Uh, and so Solomon, then, he speaks not only of prayers made within the temple, 
but even prayers from God's people who are a long ways off, prayers directed towards the temple. Uh, In times of famine or times of exile, when they were dragged away in captivity, uh, they would direct their prayers toward the temple. You see Daniel doing this, for example, uh, praying uh, in his window facing the east because by facing east, he was facing Jerusalem. Uh, if, If that was a place... Uh, this, is, this is how they, they understood this by faith. If that's the place where God says he is, where his name is made to dwell, then that's the place where I'm going to pray to him. Uh, it's acknowledging I don't have the right to just pray to God in whatever way I, I like. God said this is where my temple is, so I'm going to respond and, and respect uh, that. Well, if you know your Old Testament his- history, of course, you know the temple is gone. You know it was uh, destroyed, uh, and the people were carried off in exile for, for their disobedience. Uh, and, and yes, uh, later another temple was built, but that too in, in due time was also lost. So, so what do we do now as Christians? Do we still pray uh, to the temple? Well, there is no temple uh, to pray to. But what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say about the temple? He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And he was referring not to the physical building of the temple, but to himself, to his body. What Jesus teaches us is he is the new temple, uh, the place where God has made his name to dwell, the place to which and through which you direct your prayers to God. It's what the Gospel of John says uh, in, the, in the Greek, uh, the, the word dwelt among us, it says. Uh, and, and literally in the Greek, it says the word tabernacled among us. It templed uh, among us. And that means now Jesus teaches us to pray in his name. Uh, John 16, verse 23, Jesus says, truly, I tru- truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, we're doing the same thing that the Old Testament believers did when they directed their prayers toward the temple. We're surrendering ourselves to God. We're saying, this is how you've made yourself to be known This is how you want us to pray. And so we too will pray in Jesus' name. Uh, It's what Jesus also said in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In this way, then, we're also acknowledging before God that we're unworthy to be heard in and of ourselves. We're not praying in my name. I'm praying in in, in Jesus' name. Uh, I'm unworthy to be heard in myself, but I'm worthy to be heard in Christ. So whether we expressly use the term when we finish our prayers, whether we expressly say in Jesus' name uh, or not, we ought at least to be conscious that we are praying in and through him. We're coming because of, of Christ before God. Now, one more thing uh, pertaining to, to the how of prayer then. We sometimes read in, in Scripture that as Christians we are to pray in the Spirit. We're to pray in the Spirit. What's the meaning of that, that we pray in the Spirit? Well, some have interpreted that to, uh, to be a, referring to a special type of prayer. So there's, there's prayer, and then there's prayer in the Spirit, which is a, a, a particular kind of, of prayer. Uh, and, and then this is often interpreted to, to, to mean it's accompanied by certain things like speaking in tongues or, or private uh, revelations. Well, once again, what we want to do is turn to God's Word and ask God, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And what we'll discover very quickly is praying in the Spirit is not a description of one type of prayer, but it's a description of how all of Christian prayer ought to be. 
And it refers not to some mystical activity uh, involving tongues or, or, or revelations, but it, le- it refers to prayer that is led by the Spirit in accordance with the Word. It's what the Lord Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John 4. It says, The hour is coming and is now here when, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Is what we, uh, what all of our worship then ought to be, and so also then our prayers. So you see this in many places in Scripture. Ephesians six, verse eighteen, Paul says, "Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication." Or Jude chapter one, verse twenty, he says, "But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit." Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What this refers to then is simply being filled with the Spirit through the Word of God when we pray. We're not praying filled with our own thoughts. We're not praying filled with our own uh, feelings. We are praying filled with the Spirit. In fact, there's an interesting parallel uh, in in, uh, Ephesians and Colossians. So Ephesians and Colossians are parallel uh, letters. Uh, Paul wrote both of them from prison, both around the same time, and you can actually trace the same outline uh, through both of those books with a few uh, exceptions as he wrote to each individual church. And so sometimes when you want to interpret one of those letters, say you want to interpret Colossians, the best place to look is how did Paul say it to the Ephesians because he probably said something very similar. And if you compare Ephesians and Colossians on this, on, on being filled with the Spirit, you find something very helpful. So Ephesians 5, Paul writes this. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What does that mean when he says, be filled with the Spirit? Well, you turn to Colossians, and what does he say? He says, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's the same point he's making in both letters. How are you filled with the Spirit? By being filled with the word of God. Uh, Taking it in, meditating on it, singing it, praying it back to God, letting it become part of your, your, your very being, as it were. Or the Spirit works through the Word. So take the Word in. And we should take to heart the, the particular exhortation he's making here in both letters. How do, you, how do you let the Word fill you? It particularly highlights singing. Sing the Word of God. It has value in the life of, of the Christian. The time that we spend uh, here in worship as well, singing the Psalms has value for us. We need to spend that time uh, because we, we let the Word sink into us and, and take hold of us. Now finally, I know we're, we're, we're running out of time, but I'll conclude briefly with this. When we, when we ask the Lord uh, to teach us to pray, it also means we want to know what sort of things the Lord would teach us to pray That's why we're going to go through the uh, Lord's Prayer. The Catechism summarizes it with the phrase, we ought to pray for everything we need for body and soul. It's a pretty good summary. Uh, We shouldn't necessarily try to make a distinction here. Some have tried to do this between needs and wants. So we pray for everything we need, but you shouldn't pray for things you only want. Uh, If you actually try to distinguish those two categories, uh, you'll find it it gets uh, fuzzy uh, pretty quickly. Uh, it's pretty difficult to do. 
Uh, so perhaps another way to paraphrase what the catechism is saying is uh, pray for all that is in accordance with God's will. Uh, you won't find a distinction then between between needs and wants in Scripture. Uh, for example, if, if if you if you desire a spouse, is that a need or a want? Well, it's certainly a godly prayer. If you desire children, is that a need? You don't need it to survive. Need them to survive. But is it a godly desire? Of course it is. And in fact, you see uh, biblical examples of this. You think of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, uh, praying fervently for children, and God blesses that, uh, that prayer. So we, we can say it this way, as, as uh, Peter says it, cast all your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. In other words, is there something you long for? Is it in accordance with God's will? Then however great or small it might be, pray for it. Bring it before God in prayer. Lay it before God's throne in trust that he will act in his time and in his way. Uh, The only biblical qualifier for what sort of things we can and cannot ask for is that which is in accordance with God's will. Uh, 1 John 5 verse 14, this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Let me speak for a moment to the children on, on this point as well. Uh, children, little children, have you learned to pray? Have you learned to pray by yourself? Sometimes it'd be hard, right, to, to learn to pray all by yourself without the help of, of your parents. Uh, and maybe you, you think, well, I don't know what to pray for. What sort of things should I be praying for? Uh, maybe you've only learned to repeat the words of, of the Lord's Prayer. It's a good place to start. But what, what I tell my children at home, in, in accordance with, with the verse we just read, what I tell my children is this, when you pray... Think about what the Lord wants. Think about what the Lord wants. What do you think God wants? Pray for that. Do you think God wants you to be kind to your brother or sister? Then that's a good thing to pray for. Do you think think God wants your mom and dad to have everything that they need to be able to follow his will, to do what what is pleasing to God? Then pray for that. Uh, do you think uh, God wants uh, you to, to do your work in school effectively? Then that's a good thing to pray for, to pray for God's help with, with your schoolwork. Uh, think then about what God wants. And if there are things that you want, things that you desire, you can pray for those as well. But always be thinking, is this something good? Is this something God wants me to be praying for? Is this something the Bible is teaching me to pray for? It's for that reason, then, that as we uh, embark on this journey through uh, the theme of prayer, uh, that we're working through the prayer the Lord Jesus himself taught us. How do, you want, how do you know what God wants? Well, the best place to start is, here's what God has told you uh, to pray for. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, it's a very short prayer, uh, but it's a very, and it's a very simple prayer, uh, but we'll discover as we work our way through it, it's also a very deep prayer. It's a very comprehensive prayer, encompassing all of the things uh, that we need and desire. The Lord's Prayer then uh, teaches us how to pray. Its purpose is not just to be recited word for word, but to teach us, to model for us, these are the things uh, you pray for. And that's our goal then for the next six weeks as we study the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We want to learn then in the first place to uh, to value prayer as we ought to since prayer is the means, as we saw, by which God acts. And then number two, our goal for studying the Lord's Prayer is to shape and deepen each of our prayer lives. Because the things that we, we, we pray for 
Those are typically a window into the things that you desire, right? The things that you uh, think about the most. What things do you typically pray for the most? Well, if we're honest, sometimes our prayers can be very self-absorbed, very self-interested. The Lord's Prayer then teaches us to go deeper, to think about what God wants, and to learn to make God's priorities then our priorities. Let's seek the Lord's help with this uh, and trust that as we approach him uh, expectantly in prayer through Christ, uh, that he will be there uh, and he will help us uh, as we study this to grow and deepen our prayers and more and more experience his power in, in response to our prayers. Amen.